Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the albino hills and south of the raging leucistic river, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. Good evening, citizens of Geconia. I hope everybody's doing good tonight. This is your host, Dave, and today is December 29th, 2013, almost the end of the year. Um, what a great year it's been in a lot of ways. I hope everybody had a great Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate. I hope it was great. Um, and also, for, you, for those of you guys that called in and participated in the Christmas special, uh, that was awesome. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, some of the upcoming shows that you guys can look forward to is uh, on on the 5th, we have Jeff Scott, who is, uh, a, I guess, a newer breeder and hobbyist in the community. And uh, he's, a, he's a cool, positive guy. He's in a lot of the groups on Facebook. And it uh, should be a fun episode. I'm looking forward to speaking with Jeff. And he's also the creator of the Roach Chow song, for those of you guys uh, that don't know. It's probably the most annoying song that's ever been created. Uh, but we'll play that on the air for his episode. And on the 12th, 12th of uh, January, uh, yours truly will be interviewed by Marsha McGinnis. And that should be interesting. For those of you guys that like to get to know me better and um, just basically call in and ask me questions for a change, that'll be your chance too. And uh, that's on the 12th of January. On the 19th of January, we have the boys from Crawling Critters. We have uh, Drew the Entertainer. We have Lenny from LAC Reptiles. And we have Angel. So definitely call in for that one. It should be a fun night. And uh, those guys have their own show. They haven't, I don't think they've done it in a while, but um, they did a good job with, with the show that they were in. Hopefully they can bring that back. And also, uh, on January 26th, it's uh, Ron Tremper. And then soon after that, we also have a new roundtable discussion scheduled uh, all about morph making and basically we're going to discuss what it what what goes into planning new morphs and new combos and we're going to delve into some of the history uh of some of the two two of the most famous morph makers and one that is sure to be famous in the future so we have ron tremper number one who is basically responsible for a lot of the morphs that we have today we have matt baranek who has done countless work with combos and pioneering the white and yellow gene here in the U.S. and Marble Eye. Uh, and, and we also invited uh, Rebecca Hassler from Dragoon Gecko. So that's going to be a sure to be epic roundtable discussion. Uh, so that's going to be uh, in February, okay? So I'll announce when, uh, when we get closer to that date. So just some things for you guys to look forward to for the new year. And I have to tell you, I have a lot of exciting things planned for the show and for other uh, things involving the community for the upcoming year. So um, by no means am I going to be remaining idle. Uh, I will tell you, though, that I'm planning on uh, pulling back a little bit from Facebook. And uh, it's really been zapping me of time and productivity here. And uh, so I'm going to be doing less and less uh, on Facebook. So I'll be focusing more on my website and uh, on YouTube. Okay, so you guys, make sure to keep up on my YouTube channel because 
We're going to be putting together some really cool things. Um, all right, before we get further into it, we have a special guest co-host tonight, and it's none other than Steve from BC Barker Creations. Let's bring on Steve. Steve, you're live on Gecko Nation Radio. How's it going? Doing good. What's going on with you? How was your Christmas? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah? Get anything cool? Uh, No, my kids did, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually how it works, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that that's my gift is seeing my kids happy. So, <laughs> wow, that's 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 cool. Well, that's how most parents are, I guess, right? It, it's just knowing that they're happy makes you sleep good at night, right? Oh yeah, that's cool. Um, did you get get any uh, any new critters for uh, Christmas for them? For them, no, no, they they uh, pretty much. They got the PlayStation 3. I mean, they're happy with that. That was their big thing. Okay. I heard but, there's some disputes about which is better today, Xbox or PlayStation. What do they? What do the kids think? I guess it's PlayStation for them, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Xbox, <laughs> I don't know, last time I knew they charged to play online, so I don't know if they still do, and PlayStation doesn't. So, so that's kind. Of, that was kind of my selling point was... I didn't have to pay for them to play online. <laughs> right. Yes. I had a. I had a. Next, I. I think I still have it. I haven't. Yeah, I think it renews automatically. I have to get back on it. But I was a big, a big Halo fan, and I'm thinking about uh, resurrecting my Halo character, and uh, getting back in some of that action. But um, yeah, I think I still have my Xbox Live membership. So you guys may be seeing, seeing me fighting some Halo battles soon. We'll see. Um, nice. Can you? Can, can you play like can Xbox players play with PlayStation players or no? No, no, no. And mm-hmm. Xbox, I think, has a lot more games than PlayStation does. I'm not for sure on that, but it seems like they do. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, there's a couple other things I want to tell you guys about uh, before we get started tonight. And uh, the main thing that you guys need to be aware of is our our newest sponsor, Rainbow Mealworms, biggest mealworm, uh, biggest worm grower in the world, is offering a special credit. Now, it's only good until the end of this year, okay? You got to place your order before the end of the year. It's a $10 credit. Uh, go to rainbowmealworms.net, uh, and the credit is Gecko Nation, all in caps, okay? So make sure you type that in in order to place your order and get your uh, discount on your worms. Um, if you, Rainbow Mealworms uh, also has another website. It's called rainbowworms.com, but there is no rainbowmealworms.com. It's either rainbowmealworms.net or rainbowworms.com, just to clarify. All right, everybody? Um, now, speaking of sponsors, of course, this show would not be possible without our awesome sponsors, so check them out. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by... Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets... 
contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. abdragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches, whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps. abdragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt reptile heat tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more, and all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or Message me on Facebook, and I'll put you in touch with the owner. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms 2 ent .weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. Alright everybody and listen, don't forget our sponsors usually do hook up Gecko Nation radio listeners with discounts and you know, if you're going to the White Plains show coming up, make sure you drop by and see Dale Spirit of Dragons. If you guys need any kind of reptile supplies, that's your source. Go see Mario or Dale and say hey, I love Gecko Nation Radio, and they're going to hook you up. Also, abdragons.com has a standard discount for if you need dubia roaches, go on their site and at checkout. Make sure you type in gecko, all right? That's the code word, and you're going to get, I think, 5% off your order. So definitely take advantage of these things, guys. And, um, you know, sure, as far as the uh, John from, from Gecko Boa and... Uh, all, the, all the sponsors, just mention the show, and I'm sure they're going to take care of you, okay? And uh, let's see, what else do I want to tell you guys about? Um, let's see, i got a whole list of stuff to do tonight. And, hey, Steve, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about gecko forms? Uh, I like them. I've, I've gone on a couple times a week, a couple times a week since... Uh, you told me about them because I didn't really even know about them until, you know, I heard about it from you. So, but yeah, it, it's pretty cool. I know, and a lot of people that are new to the hobby are finding the reptile community on Facebook, but they're forgetting that there's, you know, a whole huge history on in some of the forums. And the best, the absolute biggest and best and most comprehensive forum for leopard gecko enthusiasts. Gecko Forums, and Gecko Forums is run by Fad from Ohio Gecko, and uh, Ohio Gecko is also a sponsor of the show now, too. So, you know, Fad is really well known for just exceptional tangerines, um, some really unique uh, reduced pattern snows, and 
such crazy fast sales. You guys got to go check out his site, uh, ohiogecko.com. And uh, he'll be at the White Plains New York show, I'm sure. Either he or his family will be there with some great geckos. So make sure you see him and stop by. Um, check out this plug for gecko forums, everybody. Did you know that since 2006, there's been a treasure trove of history and information on leopard geckos and other species? Well, Gecko Forums is the most extensive database of leopard gecko history on the web right now. Take a look and delve into the past, present, and future of this great community. The biggest contributors, breeders, and hobbyists have left their mark there. Now it's your turn. Look, learn, and post away. Need a place to post animals for sale? Look no further. Visit geckoforums.net and become a member today. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be the official radio show associated with Gecko Forums. Hey, Steve, I love that music that's in the background of these plugs. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and guess uh, what? Who's that? Who makes that music? It's uh, Jeremy Turgeon. And I, I'm, a, you know I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the trumpet. My my family is is a long line of trumpet players in my family, actually. Really, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know. Yeah. Not only is not only is Jeremy just a a great positive uh, guy in the community, but he's also a really very I don't know, just a, a very talented musician. Not only does he play the trumpet really well, he writes his own songs. Um, Let's let him talk for himself. I'm going to bring him on. Jeremy Turgeon from J&B Reptiles. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. What's going on, everybody? What's up? Hey. Not much. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Dude, you got an awesome... You're really awesome with that trumpet and your music. I got to tell you. Oh, I I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> How long have you been playing? Um, almost 11 years I've been playing, yeah. Wow. Well, did you hear what Steve was just saying? He's, his family's really big at the trumpet. Yeah. So I heard that. That's pretty interesting, Steve. Yeah, actually, I played when I was younger. I mean, real young. And, um, unfortunately, my parents couldn't afford to keep, keep me into it. So I, I, you know, I was probably 10 when I stopped playing. Mm. I, unfortunately, but but yeah, I mean, um, I've got five uncles that that so <laughs> that's so, awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, oh I, I love it because uh, you know when we go to, when we go to church and everything, my my uncle Jerry is just phenomenal and he sings too. But nice. you know, so I, I love I love the trumpet. You know, any kind of any kind of music like that, I I, I love it. Oh, that's awesome. So, Jeremy, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for people that don't already know who you are. And I think, I don't know, there's like 30 people in the chat room. I'm sure all you guys know who Jeremy is, but uh, for, for the people that, you know, are going to be tuning into this after the fact, let's hear who J&D, Jeremy from J&D Reptiles is. All right. Well, uh, my name is Jeremy, uh, born and raised in western Massachusetts. Uh, I've been into reptiles since... Uh, since I was about four years old, that's uh, when I got my my first uh, amphibian. It was a firebelly toad, um, and it, it, I pretty much got it because uh, I threw a temper tantrum at a pet store 
uh, until I've got it. <laughs> and, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave until she said, my mom said yes. So, um, that, uh, that pretty much started what, uh, was going to become a lifelong journey into, uh, into the world of reptiles. And, uh, for the last six or seven years, uh, I've run J&D Reptiles, uh, which has been a private breeding facility that I've run out of my home um, with probably around 100 adult animals or so. Um, and uh, it's literally brought me uh, all over the place um, in, the, in the New England area and beyond. Uh, it's gotten me worldwide recognition, which is amazing. Um, I'll soon be uh, overseas, actually, spending some time with some reptile keepers uh, across the pond uh, in the U.K. Uh, later this fall, uh, or the fall of 2014. I'm already jumping the gun there. Um, but, yeah, and I've been a trumpet player for uh, about 11 years now. Um, play for, I play professionally. Uh, I'm the music director for my church, um, I, I've got an album that should be coming out, or at least a couple songs should be coming out this year. Um, yeah, so, I mean the list goes on and on, but I don't want to. I don't want to brag, so I'll, I'll stop it. I'll stop it there. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, that's quite a list of accomplishments. And you know, Jeremy, you're not even you're not an older guy. You're in your young, your you know early twenties, right? Twenty one. Just turned twenty one this year. <laughs> So, you know, that's that's quite admirable for somebody your age. And, uh, you know, I, tell you, I was talking to Jeremy earlier, and I was like, you know, Jeremy, you, you definitely don't act like, you know, a younger person in the community because, you know, you, you definitely have the maturity uh, of someone that's been doing this a long time, and uh, that's, that's commendable in itself. Um, before we get started, Jeremy, we got to do the news. And, uh, Steve, what do you say we bring on... Uh, Steve, the the news anchor, and do the news tonight. Sounds good. Hear it. All right, let's go ahead and do this. Good evening, Gekonians. <laughs> <laughs> good evening, Steve. Long time no speak. I know. <laughs> All right. Everything? Pretty good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do we got tonight? Our first story, of course it's a snake story, because the news is always filled with snakes. A security, yeah, a security guard was killed by a python near an Indonesian hotel. The man spotted a python crossing the road. He then grabbed the snake by the head and tail. The python wrapped around his neck and strangled him to death. While oh people watched. Oh, and, God. Yeah, and it is not known if it was a Burmese or a reticulated python. Where was this again? Indonesia. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. All right. But, I that's native habitat, you know? Right. For those snakes, and, you know, I, I could have seen them grabbing the tail and pulling them off the road or something, but I don't know. I don't, Jeez. I, I don't know. It must have been, they didn't, they didn't have a size or anything. It must have been good size. You would think, yeah. To, yeah. to strangle the guy. Wow, that is crazy. 
And were they able? Yeah. I guess it didn't need them. They, the people were able to get it off of them, perhaps. I guess I don't know. It didn't say any. It didn't say anybody attempted to get them off, get the snake off, or anything in the article. Didn't say. Hmm. Okay. Wow, that's crazy. So now that le- that leads us to our next snake story. A woman in Texas, threatened by a snake, threw fuel on it, lit the snake on fire, and the snake took off into a pile of weeds, which caught on fire and burned the woman's house down. Oh, my God. Yeah, can you believe that? Yeah, where was this? That was in Texas. Go hard or go home. (laughs) Yeah. It also also caused damage to the neighbor's house. (laughs) But, yeah, I... I mean, leave them alone, really. I mean, <laughs> leave the snakes alone. Really? I mean, they're gonna, yeah. They're going to they're gonna move along, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and then a Bay Shore man pleaded guilty to petty larceny after being caught on video stealing three boa constrictors from Repsotica. He will be sent... That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Quiet, Dave. What are you doing? Sorry. <laughs> he will be sentenced in February, and and all three snakes were returned to the store. Oh, man. Did I get them on camera, too? Yeah, they got him on camera. Yep. And it, I don't know. I don't know. To me, he looked a little intoxicated. I don't know. Maybe not. But the way he was moving and stuff, I don't know. He kind of looked like he might have been intoxicated. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> which now we're going to head to Florida, our favorite spot for uh, stories, I guess. Mm-hmm. In Cor- Corkscrew, Florida, a man answering the call of nature was shocked to see he was relieving himself next to a seven-foot boa constrictor. The boa constrictor constrictor was captured and is being held at a local shelter and can be claimed by its owner because they suspect it was a released pet or escaped. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Beastiality R. Kelly style. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So that leads us to our next story, which is also in Florida. And this is directly out of the article. A Florida alligator is being hailed an environmental hero after being photoed devouring a Burmese python. Hmm. I'm sure a lot of that goes on. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, I've seen videos on YouTube of... of, to me, they look staged. I don't know, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, the ones I've seen on YouTube where the alligators are eating the Burmese pythons, but who knows. But this one, someone caught a photo of it, of an alligator. I believe it said it was going under a bridge or something with a Burmese python in its mouth. So, <laughs> which is cool. Yeah, I mean, nature kind of getting rid of a problem itself, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. And in the article, it reinforced that there are 100,000 Burmese pythons loose in the Everglades. 
I know, oh. ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> For anybody that's listening, those the numbers of the actual snakes in the Everglades, if anybody doesn't already know, are exaggerated beyond belief. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't even think there's been 100,000 snakes even, you know, kept this hobby, kept in the hobby. Uh, I don't know. Has there, Jeremy? I, know, I wouldn't think there's even a, a 100,000 Burmese, Burmese pythons. As far as 100,000 big snakes being in captivity, I don't know. But 100,000 snakes in general, you might want to ring BHB or, or, or Nerd. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's what I, yeah, I know. They're putting out like 30,000 each. I know that. They're saying, like, you know, big, big berms. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't think so. I don't think anyone would have ever come anywhere near close. I know. No. There is. And our last story... In, hopefully, it's Oman, bordering Saudi Arabia, a new species of gecko was discovered. And it's pretty cool looking. It's like a pinkish salmon color with a yellow head, mm-hmm. black stripe, like like uh, black pinstripes going down each side, and a banded tail. Real cool looking. And the discovery of this new species is the result of more than five years of work by Dr. Salvador Carranza that is based at the Institute of Evolutionary Biology in Barcelona, Spain. So I Are you always, sure somebody are you sure somebody didn't just release one of Ron Tremper's new morphs or something out there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sounds like something we work with every day in the in the leopard gecko world. But that sounds cool. Um, oh yeah. Steve, if you if you got a, if you got a minute, post a link to that uh, after the news in the chat room so we can look at it. All right. Yeah, I'll do that right away. Cool. So I'll, I'll give you the recap. One of the stories are false. So the mm-hmm. recap is Python kills security guard. Snake mm-hmm. set house on fire. Man mm-hmm. pleads guilt guilty to stealing snakes. Boa constrictor mm-hmm. found in Florida. Alligator eats Burmese python, and new species of gecko discovered. All right. Everybody in the chat room, let's see what you guys think. Which is the false story? I'm going to let's, – let's give Jeremy the first crack at it, of course, because he's our distinguished guest tonight. Jeremy, oh, what, man. which story do you think is false? Uh I, I I honestly don't even know. I haven't had a chance to to read all of the, the snakes <laughs> in the news things. Um, uh, I'm gonna say uh, the dude R. Kelly and the poor boa because I'm not down with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the the boa the guy peeing in the in the woods and he's he pees near a, a boa. <laughs> that one. Yeah. Okay. Um, see, I want to think the one with Drew the Entertainer stealing from Repsotica is false. <laughs> <laughs> but, but maybe, maybe Drew would do that. I don't know. Now, they did, they did I, determine I that it was, <laughs> they did determine that it was Drew, right, Steve? Is that true? No, I'm like, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I'm gonna. I I agree with Jeremy. It's either that story or it's the Repsotica one. I'm gonna go with um, the guy stealing from Repsotica. People in the chat room are saying 
the R. Kelly story. <laughs> um, Landon says the last one. Um, all right. What is the false story, Steve? You guys were right. It was a boa constrictor found in Florida that was not urinated on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow. So so Drew really did steal those snakes from Sonic, huh? <laughs> well, we're going to have to talk to him about that when he's on the show in a couple weeks. <laughs> Wow, that's funny. All right. right. And our last segment, Herp History. On June 23rd, 1940, for the first time in zoological history, a ball python laid eggs in captivity at the Philadelphia Zoo. That's June 23rd, 1940. Wow. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's I, – I love the history, you know, and it's tough to find the stories, but, but uh, yeah, I, I like I like hearing when, you know, the first whatever happened. Yeah, yeah. how do you find them? I just I just go and research, and then, uh, and then uh, you know, I'll type in, like, first, first eggs hatched reptile, you know, something generic, and then I'll go through and try to find – and I'm still looking for leopard geckos, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, you know, first python to lay eggs or first tortoise, you know, I just, I just randomly search for keywords and see if I can find it. And that's how I find, find the, uh, the different articles. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. No, I love this, uh, the history segment too, just Steve, it's awesome. Yeah. It's stuff you never really think about, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it, I, I've right. got I've got some other ones I've I've held I've held back that I'm hold holding for I don't know a special occasion or something that I I found you know so <laughs> um, yeah, one cool. last one last thing I want to remind everybody <clears throat> do not forget to donate to U.S. Ark's Reptile Defense Fund. That's right. And, at usarc.org. So go That's on right. there, please donate, and help us all out. Help yourselves out. Yeah, if we don't, we're going to lose it. Yep. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, we'll get rid of uh, Steve's alter ego, and we'll get back <laughs> to real Steve. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, we are back, and we just let Steve go, and we're here with Steve and Jeremy, <laughs> and uh, let's continue our interview with Jeremy, Steve. Um, you know, Steve, I'll, being that this is going to be like uh, your second time co-hosting with me, uh, why don't you start? Um, sure, I'll give it a try. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, go ahead. I've been a huge fan of your videos on YouTube for uh, I, how long have you been on YouTube? Oh dear God! Uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe I don't know what two, two, since about like 2007, 2008. Yeah, I was gonna say like five years or more at least. Yeah. Yeah. How how did you get into YouTube as far as with your you know shooting video for your reptiles? How how did that uh, start? 
Well, you know, when I first decided to do it, it was just kind of like uh, a random idea. You know, I was like, man, there's so many cool videos of people posting their snakes, whatever. I was like, I want to get in on that, you know. So I took our crappy video camera, uh, which I think was actually just a a digital camera that had a recording feature, uh, and started recording some videos with some crappy lighting and uh, and went on from there. And I never, I never ever anticipated to get to where it's gotten to now. You know, I, I thought, you know, I'll post a video of a boa constrictor every, you know, six years like some of these other people and, and hope that it gets a, a few views, you know. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah, I mean, it was pretty much just a random idea that blossomed into more insanity. <laughs> Do you think that, that helped you grow your, your company? Oh, yeah, no, no doubt about it. No doubt yeah. about it. You know, um, I mean, I still get emails from people who've watched videos of mine that I posted, you know, back in 2009 or whatever. And they're like, oh, my God, this video just saved me, you know, of this much money because I found this place because you recommended them. Or, you know, I never would have thought about taking care of my animal this way. You know, your video opened up my eyes to something. And, you know, I'm just like, you're welcome. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. you have nothing else to say. It's just like, wow, you didn't watch any of my newer videos? Sheesh. <laughs> I have such a such a much better camera now. Yeah. <laughs> How many uh, views are you up to now, Jeremy? Uh, you know, I don't know. But since I'm next to my laptop, I can find out really quick. Um, you think you've surpassed the million mark yet? I don't know about that. I think we're getting close, though. I think we're getting close. Let's see. Nice. Um, all right. Yeah, we we're at uh, we're starting to get close to seven hundred thousand views. We're at uh, wow six fifty nine four seventy five. So we're slowly getting to seven hundred thousand. Nice. That's cool. Right, that's how yeah. I met you uh, on YouTube. Yep, that's true. I saw you walking around. I, I first uh, I was watching your YouTube videos before I even started my own channel, and, uh, you know, I saw you walking out the White Plains show one time, and I was like, that's, that guy looks familiar, you know? And, uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you do have a, a unique look to you, especially back then. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't often talk to you, I don't think, but, uh, you know, I, I do remember seeing you floating around, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. The YouTube is a great thing, man. It really is. It, it brought a lot of us together. Yeah, oh, yeah. It, you know, I feel like I mean, you, YouTube pretty much precedes Facebook in a in a in a lot of ways. Um, you know, and I I feel like that was that was like the main social media hub that didn't really allow for all the drama we see on Facebook now. You know, because um, you only have a, you only had a certain number of characters you could put in a YouTube comment. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was definitely one of the first ways uh, that we we were able to connect with each other uh, as you know from one herper to another. Yeah, and that's why I'm going to be going back to Facebook. I mean, to YouTube. I'm going to be uh, taking um, taking uh, definitely a lot less time off, you know, from Facebook and focusing more on YouTube. And you know, I'm hoping that Steve and I can, you know, work together and make some really cool edited videos together. So, That'd be awesome. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I got to get back on there too. Right. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah. I think uh, the last video I posted. Uh, was I think it was just a few weeks ago, maybe maybe a month ago, and it, it wasn't even like I wasn't even satisfied with it. It was 
it was a month ago, I posted a video of some baby leopard geckos, and uh, I posted another video. And it was just something to, like, shut the 300 people up that kept messaging me about <laughs> posting new videos. <laughs> I know. I get a lot of requests. New, new vids, Dave. Come on, Dave. New vids. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It's it's like I I I'd like to apologize to everybody. It's my own fault because I've been spending too much time on Facebook, and yeah, it's uh, play a role. Yeah, Can I, I don't think the I don't I don't think the positives outweigh the I, I don't think the positives outweigh the negatives of Facebook at this point. To tell you the truth, um, I don't know. Uh, How do you guys feel? I, I I feel like Facebook definitely has its its disadvantages. Um, I feel like. Currently, it's been used a lot more in a, in a negative sense. But at the same time, I feel like it, 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 it kind of comes and goes in waves, you know. The mm-hmm. rash of negativity mm-hmm. comes in, and then it'll be rushed away by a, a, a rash of positivity, and then it'll go back. <laughs> I came in in the wrong rash, I think, then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta I mean, see I was I've only been on it a short time actually compared to a lot of other people. I've only been on it for like eight months I think. Or nine months. So you know. A lot of you guys have been on it a while. Um you know, one of my questions to you tonight, Jeremy, is uh before we talk about some of the species you keep, um, you know, one of the one of the things that's on all of our minds uh recently is, you know, this upcoming Lacey Act editions and how it's gonna affect the community. What do you feel are some of the things, what do you think are the strengths and weaknesses that our community has right now? Oh, man. Uh, sheesh. I think some <laughs> too, of the weaknesses too deep? The, yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think some of the major weaknesses that, that the community has right now is, is just the, the lack of togetherness, you know, um, there is, we are a very disorganized community when it when it comes down to it. Um, you know, I mean, we're we're all uh, we're all organized in our niche, I guess you could say. You know, um, but when it comes to being a community as a whole, we're really not there. You know, um, I mean, and, and that go you know that goes for me too. I, you know, I don't want to make it seem like I'm pointing this at one person, you know, I know a hell of a lot more ball python people than I do corn snake people, you know, and maybe seven years ago I knew a lot more corn snake people than I did ball python people, you know, but the the tides have changed. But, you know, we kind of get stuck in our own little world, especially if we don't keep a lot of different species, Um, you know, we kind of get stuck in, okay, this is what I keep, so I'm going to talk to people who only keep this, um, you know, so we kind of get stuck in this bubble, and then when it comes to having to help somebody out, we don't necessarily get all the info and how we can help because we're in our own zone, you know. So, like, I'm just going to use this as an example. So let's say everybody in the leopard gecko bubble, um, you know, doesn't hear about what's happening under the retake bubble. So by the time it reaches everybody in the leopard gecko bubble, there's almost no time to react. You know, and it's like, whoa, what the, you know, what, what's going on? Um, you know, so I think that's like our, our biggest weakness, you know, um, that combined with the amount of negativity that you see on social media. You know, you, you can't, 
you can't hide it. You know, everywhere you look on, on a Facebook group, for the most part, except the Gecko Nation group, um, you see um, a lot of a lot of people who are like, you know, F you, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, 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 this, that, or, you know, this guy's an idiot, this guy's ridiculous, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, uh, you know, I, the, this is the stuff that we're trying to avoid. Obviously, things get said in the heat of an argument. You know, we've all gotten into an argument with somebody at some point or another and said something that we didn't mean or that we literally just said because of the heat of the moment. And it's not, you know, it, it's not cool to post it on Facebook. You know, when you say it, it's in the air, and, you you know, you can't do anything about it, but, you know, reflect and apologize after. Online, it's a little bit different because, yes, you can delete your comment, but the fact of the matter is it's written. Somebody's seen it. It was read, you know, by countless amounts of people, and they're going to remember that, you know. Yep. Um, so, that you know, those would be the, the two weaknesses that I can really see in the community, at, at, you know, at, at this point. Um, but even though those are two very big points, it's not to be uh, – made to blindside us to the positive that, that's in the community. You know, there, even though there are quite a few uh, negatives, there's a lot of positives, you know, especially now. Um, you know, I have to give a lot of credit to uh, to Kevin McCurley and Brian Potter for doing the Reptile Smackdown page. Um, you know, I mean, yes, obviously they're, they're doing everything that I was just talking about, you know, pointing people out and saying, you know, you're stupid, this is what you're doing, blah, 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 blah. But, the, the main focus of what they're doing is they're trying to uh, stop all of the falsified info that's being thrown out there. You know, so they're, they're, these are people who, just because you don't see them post every 10 minutes, doesn't mean that they're not doing anything. You know, if you only knew it was happening behind closed doors, you'd have a much greater respect for what's, ha- for what's actually going on. So, you know, in the, in the positivity light, seeing, seeing something like that, even though it's being done in a negative way, is kind of helping us. Um, it was also the, the start of really building, it, building and starting the Reptile Defense Fund for U.S. ARC, which has, has grown very, very rapidly, uh, you know, which is amazing. So the, the community is really starting to come together now that there's some serious uh, legislation being proposed. And uh, it's not anything new. It's not necessarily new legislation per se, but the fact of the matter is now it's um, being threatened to be imposed now. You know what I mean? Like in, in a very short period of time. So now, now is the time that we need to act. So the fact that, uh, you know, people are uh, joining forces, you know, I remember watching a, a, a comment battle fly out between two very big breeders um, on the SmackDown page and, uh, you know, there were people that were kind of interjecting and throwing in their two cents, but at the end of the day, it was two very well-respected breeders, you know, um, expressing their points that were both valid at the time, and at the end, it came to a, a very well-rounded conclusion that was satisfactory to everybody, not just the two of them, but to the entire community. And, you know, it really set a precedent, you know, who are we as little guys, as, as lesser-known keepers and breeders, to be the ones to point the finger and bicker and hold grudges towards these people when the biggest guys in the community are doing the same thing, but they're understanding and resolving the same conflict uh, in a reasonable manner, you know, 
why why are we the ones that have to hold these lifelong grudges that don't help anybody and that make absolutely no sense? You know, so that was a that was a huge positive thing. Um, just to see to see two very well respected people in the industry come to that common ground. Um, you know, people are really also stepping up for the public education thing. Um, you know, I believe there's a, a major fundraiser that's going to be happening in California, um, where you, you're going to, where you get to go bowling with Brian Barcheck and and something like that or some something. I don't know. I think I saw something about that somewhere. Um, you know, and that, you know that's a great that's a great fundraising idea. How many people? How many times have you heard of a fundraiser going out bowling all the time? People go out bowling to raise money all the time. You know, so this is a major a major major uh, way to raise money. You know, so there's quite a few positive things, although they may be small at the moment, they're, they're building up, you know, like I said, just because you don't know everything that's happening and you're not hearing the conversations that are happening behind closed doors doesn't mean that nothing is happening, but you need to have the full-fledged support. You need to give your full-fledged support to these people who are making the positivity possible so that we don't lose the ability to keep the animals that we're trying so desperately to keep. That's 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 cool, and I I like what what you just said, and I agree with a lot of it. Um, I one of the things that I think is important to uh, to at least try to think about is uh, like for me it's, it's tough to see a lot of the stuff being posted online because I also know that you know our community is being watched too by some of the organizations that are try out to get us, and I think that you know the things that some of our disagreements should be handled privately. In fact, you know. It seems to me that people are, you know, we have the PM feature, and we can, if we have an issue with somebody, we can definitely take it to them. But instead of doing that, a lot of people feel more comfortable broadcasting it publicly. And I, I think if more of these disagreements or disputes were handled privately, not only would it make us look better and more mature, but it would also um, cut down on just a lot of our problems, so to speak. But I don't know. I How do, do you feel about that? that? No, I, I yeah. definitely uh, do do agree with you on that one. You know, I mean, uh, I, I can remember when I was in high school getting into this massive argument over Facebook comment section, uh, all because somebody couldn't say something to somebody via private message or face to face, and um, you know, the whole thing uh, got blown way out of proportion, you know, and I was, you know, I said to the people who were trying to resolve the conflict, I was like, you know, this doesn't even need to be happening. The reason it's happening is because somebody, somebody decided to type something into the wrong message box, essentially into the public one instead of into the private one. I think those people should be held accountable, Jeremy, in some form. And a lot of them just keep operating like that with the, with the team's immunity and, and people just keep, keep allowing it to happen. Uh, as sooner or later, there's got to be some kind of um, we need some kind of code of honor or ethics or something that states, you know, that this is not okay, and that you know, if you keep, you know, bringing these disputes to public to to the public and you know, bringing this negativity to our community, that they need to be held accountable. I, I don't know. That's how I feel about it. I mean, if I have an issue with somebody, I, I'm going to go to you, and I'm going to either PM you or I'm going to see you in person, and we're going to settle it, and, and that's right. it. Um, you know, it seems I know, that I agree with other that. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just wish more people would do that. That's all. I don't know, but um, you know, as far as our strengths go, I think I think we have the 
I think I always try to look at the positives, and this, this legislation stuff is either going to make or break us. It's either going to bring us together and unite us to get the job done, and we'll be, and it's going to, number one, it's going to make us appreciate what we have that much more because we're afraid to lose it, all right? So right. That's, that's a positive. And, you know, it's just about right now it's about, well, if we're going to, we just need to raise money. So can we come together enough to send the money in the right direction? That's the question. What do you think? Definitely. Definitely. You no, think we'll I, be able to get I, the I money there? I, I think that we will be able to. I, I think it's going to be a stretch. You know, there are still some people who are uh, on the fence about donating, you know, um, because of previous events. Uh, but, you know, I, I really feel like people people need to swallow their pride, so to speak. Um, and, and, you know, it's not like everyone's being asked to donate $10,000. You know, people are being asked to, to donate what they can. And, you know, I remember reading some comments that were getting me mad. People were saying, you know, they're, they're, I'm not going to donate a penny to these people. And it's like, well, then are you are you going to help us or are you going to – sit there and, and not help us, you know, because if you're not helping, you're not helping uh, in every mm-hmm. sense of the word, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, if you, you know, this is, I remember, I remember being in church and, and hearing this, this sermon, it's, it's all about your, your perception, you know, it, you, you're going to go off and, and spend, you know, $10 stuffing your face at McDonald's, uh, which is going to, you know, feed you and, and keep you hungry as well as, as potentially give you some various, American disease, uh, but you're not going to give that same $10 to an organization that's, uh, that's potentially going to be helping you and w- that we already know is going to be helping you keep doing this hobby, um, you know, that, that you love doing. So, it, it, you know, it's one of those things, you know, why, why, would you, why would you risk your health rather than help your hobby? You know, you know what I mean? In, in that, mm-hmm. in that, uh, kind of sense, you know, so it's it's very interesting the perspective that, that people see and it's like, you know, I, I mean, it's it's very sketchy. It can be very sketchy at times. Well, I think a lot of people have come together now and realized, you know, that, you know, U.S. Arc is there for us. Uh, I know Herp Alliance isn't doing advocacy anymore. Our only choice is U.S. Arc. So even if you have yep. to look at it from that standpoint where, you know, I have no other choice but to support them, then, then at least do it. But I think that right. it's admirable. Right. I think it's, I think then, you know, even if you have that perspective, I don't necessarily have that perspective because I believe that, you know, the U.S. Arc's function is to, to protect us. And, you know, I'm, yeah, it is. you know, this, yeah, this show is going to support U.S. Arc, of course, and I support U.S. Arc, and I hope others do. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the old beefs and the old issues are, are not relevant. They're, they're not even you know, people got to stop bringing them up more or less and focus on the future. Um, I agree it's with not that even, 100%. Right. Like, you know, to keep rehashing it is like, geez, um, why are you torturing yourself? You know, you're basically uh, bringing yeah, that stop, back up stop in yourself. Stop taking and, this cab. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's the bottom line. Uh, Steve, do you have anything to talk about on this topic? Um, I notice a lot of the the arguments are just so little too, you know, it's not even a, you know, a lot of them aren't even anything big. It could be just over a color of an animal. You know what I mean? <laughs> it seems like the, the arguments just are, are not important even that I've noticed, yeah. you know? Well, 
I yeah, think the outside world has... Go ahead, Jeremy. Oh, no, I was just going to say, it's, it's interesting how uh, this, such, a, such a little squabble between two people can become a, a, what's essentially an international grudge at some point. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It really is. Um, you know, I think the public perception is something that's very important. And I think we need, we as uh, reptile enthusiasts, uh, whether you're in the industry community, whatever you want to call it, whether you have a business, your your responsibility, your ultimate responsibility is to, to do your best to make us look good overall, to make us look like, uh, you know, like to change the public's perception, not only of reptiles in general, but of reptile keepers. Right now we're basically uh, viewed as these misfits. Uh, you know, they have a they have a preconceived conception. All of us are tattooed and pierced. Not that there's anything wrong with that stuff, but, you know, a lot of people that are so-called normal, you know, look on that and consider us all misfits and troublemakers, and we're not. I mean, you know, I have tattoos, but I'm not crazy and, you know, hurting people and causing problems. But um, it's, it's a shame the media definitely uh, affects us in a negative way in a lot of ways, a lot of different instances. Yeah. That too, but I don't know. I think our, our our goal is to make us look like respectable uh, people. Like when I think of uh, when I think of dog owners, you know, like uh, dog enthusiasts or even bird enthusiasts or even uh, fish aquariums and stuff. I don't think I, I don't ha- I don't get a negative feeling. Um, but right. if somebody's asked, if somebody asks, what do you think about reptile people? You know, a lot of times their eyes widen. You know, they glaze over a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. That's just what I feel like, that the public perception needs to be altered a bit. But go ahead, Steve. Do you have anything else you'd like to add to this discussion? Uh, As far as the public, you know, the way everybody looks at us, I think it comes back to, you know, teaching basically, Mm -hmm. because everybody, you know, not everybody, obviously, reptile people don't, but majority, python is a giant snake. You know what I mean? It's just, it's generic. They don't realize that there's different species, different sizes. You know, that's just the way they look at it, and I think it just comes down to education. Somehow we have to inform them. Right. Well, I, just, I just said in the chat room somebody somebody had said that uh, you know that they that money is very tight you know and uh, you know they they need all the money they can get uh, to to pay bills around the house you know, that's understandable trust me my my income is not um, glamorous by any means you know um, donating donating to USR isn't just about money obviously money is needed you know but the, the other thing that still has to be done, even with all this money being given, the, the second biggest thing that we can do to help is educate people. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the grassroots efforts that's always been talked about in the community, you know, is, is educating people. So if, if money's not easy to, to give up, you know, which for some of us it's not, let's be real. You know, the economy isn't still or still isn't um, perfect by any means. You know, we've all got our own bills to pay. 
But educating, even if it's just one kid on the street, you know, if you happen to be out with your python on a nice day or with a corn snake or something, that one little bit of education, you don't know what that's going to do. You know, I mean, I, I've spent a lot of time teaching at, uh, at schools. Um, I've, I've taught some college courses at some local um, community colleges when it comes to reptiles. And, um, you know, one, one of the things that I always tell the, the people, the students, is like, look, you know, there might be 50 of you in this room uh, or in this auditorium, and if I only hit one person, I've, I've done my job. You know, mm-hmm. if, if there's one person who's going to leave there with a better understanding and a better education of keeping reptiles and what it is to own a reptile and the reality of owning a reptile, then there's one other person that's on our side. Absolutely. I, you know, these animals are fascinating. I, 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 you know, there's so many people that are scared of them. They don't know why they're scared of them. But if they, would, if they did have that education... You know, it, this is something that I think is in a lot of people just to be able to appreciate them because they're unlike anything else on this planet, reptiles and amphibians. There's something mm-hmm. just amazing about them. Um, you know, creating your own little uh, biosphere or your own little terrarium and to have that on display is like having the most amazing reef tank. It's it's incredible and to have these little these little amazing creatures going about their lives and being able to observe them is something that fascinates a lot of people. And I was lucky. You guys, uh, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir with this. Everybody that's hearing my voice is probably, you know. Shaking you know, their head. They're lucky. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's just an amazing thing. Um, we're coming up to the half-hour point, guys. So we're going to take a quick break, and we get back. Um, I'd like to give you guys the option. Would you guys like to call in and talk with Jeremy? We can, we can talk about snakes. We can talk about... Uh, stuff we were just hitting on. It's, I'll leave it up to you guys, and uh, I'll also leave it up to you, Jeremy, where you'd like the conversation to go. Um, but cool. let's take a yeah, quick break. I'm up for anything. Okay, let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back in a minute, everybody. Let's hear some of. Uh, now, keep in mind the music that you hear in the back of these plugs is all Jeremy. Let's check it out. Gecko Nation Radio is a David Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by abdragons.com. is your source for the highest quality doobie roaches. Whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps, abdragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt reptile heat tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com, or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets, contact them at www 
www.rainbowmealworms.net. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need, from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more, and all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. All right, everybody, we are back. And before I bring Jeremy and Steve back, I'd like to remind everyone that uh, from now until the first of the year, uh, Rainbow Mealworms is giving a special discount to Gecko Nation radio listeners. So go on, go to rainbowmealworms.net or rainbowworms.com and uh, at checkout, use the, the word Gecko Nation, all in capitals, okay? Uh, also, I'd like to rem- remind everyone to check out uh, Gecko Forums and ohiogecko.com. Ohiogecko.com has amazing fat tails and... Uh, and leopard gecko morphs, really unique stuff. So uh, definitely check them out. And also, the New York White Plains show is coming up on January 5th. Of course, I'll be there vending. Uh, Sad from Ohio Gecko will be there. Um, Dale's, uh, Dale, Dale Spirit of Dragons is going to be there. If you guys are Gecko Nation radio listeners, definitely stop by, see us, mention the show. Uh, we're going to hook you up. All right? Definitely do that. So uh, I, hope, I hope to see all you guys at the show. All right, I'm going to go ahead and bring back Steve and Jeremy. All right, guys, we are back, and um, I'm opening up the phone lines. Uh, Everybody that's in the chat room, the number to call in tonight, if you'd like to, is 646-478-5331. And we can take the conversation in any direction uh, that you guys would like. All right, so just feel free to call in. Don't be shy. We love callers. As long as, you know, the, the topic of this, you know, we stay on the topic of discussion more or less. All right, everyone. All right, Jeremy. So, you know, one of the things you're mostly well-known for these days is steaks, but you have a very interesting leopard gecko story that I'd like you to tell all our big <laughs> leopard gecko fans. Let's, let's hear this. Uh, I love this story. Oh, man. All right. So I uh, – okay, so we all know I'm a trumpet player. I was out doing a gig, and uh, it was probably like 11 o'clock at night or something like that, and I was I was finally – um, finally coming home, I was very tired. It was a very long day, and uh, I noticed this shadow on my patio. Now, mind you, I think it was probably like uh, two months, two or three months ago. Um, so it was it was starting to get kind of chilly at night, you know, in, in the in the fifties. Uh, as I say, that's chilly. I would really enjoy the fifties right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I saw this shadow on my patio, and I, I, at first I thought it was like this big praying mantis and I was like oh man that's that's so cool whatever you know so we've got this motion sensing light on my patio so as I as I come to the motion sensor um the light comes on and I look down at where the shadow was and it's a freaking leopard gecko there's a leopard gecko like <laughs> now bolting for its life on my patio so I'm like I went full Steve Irwin and, and chased the thing down um you know so I, I grab I grab the thing and I'm like what you know? What the hell? As far as I know, 
you know, I, I'm one of the one of the only people in my neighborhood who keeps reptiles. So I'm like, you know, what? How the hell is this uh, non-native species end up on my patio? You know, I'm like, Massachusetts doesn't even have any lizard species. <laughs> so I, I was like, what? You know, what the hell? So I bring it inside, and I, I'm like, now I can't be missing anything because it, it it doesn't look like anything that I that I have. Um, so uh, I had brought it in, got it set up in a tub, got it warm for the night, and I sent out some messages to some local people who I thought might uh, have known somebody who might be missing a gecko or something, and uh, nobody nobody said that they were missing a leopard gecko at all, so uh, it's, uh, it's a funny story now. We've got this gecko, I call her the Springfield gecko, um, and uh, she's just she's cool. She's a great looking high yellow leopard gecko. I have no clue about her genetics whatsoever, other than she's a nice high yellow. Was probably bought at a Petco or something like that. Um, yeah, but I mean it's a great animal. She looks amazing. Um, you know she's gaining weight really well, and yeah, she's just a cool animal. That's funny. And just for anybody that's listening, keep in mind, leopard geckos are not an invasive species. There was n- there's no way they would ever be able to <laughs> to uh, breed and reproduce and uh, live anywhere in the in the in the Northeast anywhere. It takes uh, no, they to, yeah. So let's just clarify that right away. Um, yeah. But that's that's a, that's a, what I like most about this story, Jeremy, is the fact that you know the universe or God, whatever you want to call it, works in mysterious ways. That gecko found its way to your house out of all the other houses in the area. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, that's the most amazing part. It could have it could have got, gotten eaten by your neighbor's cat. It could have, you know, went to the house next to you. It could have went the other direction. But no, it went to your house. The person that Very true. would have the most likelihood of knowing how to care for it. Whether Now, you could argue yeah. maybe it smelled other reptiles, but... You know, if I was right. a gecko and I smelled if I smelled snakes, I would probably go in the di- in a different direction. Yeah, so <laughs> if it turned out to be if it turned out to be a male gecko, maybe I would have said it smelled females that were ovulating or something. But <laughs> hmm. that's incredible. I love that story. <laughs> oh, man. It's definitely one for the record books. That's for sure. Yeah, and you know what? It looks like we have a caller on the line. I'm not sure if they're listening or not. Let's just take this call real quick. Um, cool. Caller from the um, caller from the five seven zero area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey Dave. Hey, who's this? Landon. Oh, hey Landon. What's going on? Not much. Uh, I actually I messaged you today about the hybrid snake thing. That's and right. I was gonna yes. Ask- I was going to ask Jeremy if he ever had a hybrid breed or not. Jeremy, run this. Oh, I am a I am a purist at heart. The only hybrids I enjoy are carpondros, the uh, carpet python, green tree python hybrids. That's it when it comes to hybrids. I mean, uh, yeah, it's oh, such a touchy subject for me. Um, when you're talking about hybrids, do you mean like hybrid colubrids or hybrid yeah, like a, like, yeah, like a corn snake to a milk snaker? Oh God, absolutely not! It's the devil's spawn. <laughs> 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 I think I think if it's you know if you're doing it if you're doing it for something that's like uh, for the aesthetic appeal, you know, or, or just kind of like an uh, an oddity kind of snake, um, 
you know, uh, it, it's it's cool. You know, my thing with with colubrid hybridization is a lot of times, unless it's you know, unless it's something that's really uh, separated in species where you can tell that it's just not a, a pure species. Um, as long as everything that's been bred in is properly labeled, um, you know, then I personally don't really have that much of a problem with it. You know, I mean, I, I definitely will not be producing any hybrids here anytime soon, you know, but it's, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, uh, it's a matter of personal preference. It it really is. You know, uh, my biggest thing is just like, it's gotta be, um, it's got, well, no, it doesn't necessarily have to be pure, but it's just got to be labeled. You know, like, there's a lot, of, a lot of pet stores, a lot of local pet stores who I, I see um, selling uh, Nelson Pueblin hybrid milk snakes. And I'm, I'm just like, pe- people, people aren't going to catch all of this, you know, because they, they just label it so much as that, you know. So nobody really knows that it's LT Campbelli crossed with LT Nelsoni, you know. So it, it becomes like... Uh, it becomes this ridiculous insanity because not a lot of people in my local area understand the concept of species and hybridization because we're not all that well versed in my neck of the woods. Um, <laughs> so it, uh, it, it, as long as it's labeled properly, I guess I'm okay with it as long as it's not here in my collection. <laughs> okay. <laughs> On the flip side, um, I have to say, though, uh, Blake, my friend Blake, has some amazing-looking hybrids, some really cool stuff that are like, you know, like three different things combined. They're like a king snake crossed to a milk snake, and it's got some corn snake in there, and they're like purple and beige and just yeah, amazingly you show beautiful. Of, oh, yeah, you showed one of them they, in a video. Right, hybrids, right. They can look amazing. They can look absolutely amazing. I'm not doubting that at all. It's just like, ugh. When, when you start, it's, to me, I hear hybrid snakes, and the, and the words that pop into mind are, are things like cockapoo and, 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 and ridiculous designer dog names that just make me not want dogs. So <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Well, that's cool. Um, well, there you go. You have a, there's, there's a bunch of different views on it, Landon. What do you think about hybrids, Steve? Yeah, uh, I I'm, not, I'm not for them either. No? no. Okay. No. I would probably just keep right. it as a show snake. There you go. Just for show. Yeah. All right, cool. You have any other questions, Landon? No, that's it. All right, thanks for calling in, bud. Yep. Bye. All right. Um, I'll tell you, you know, we got some, some issues with, uh, you know, breeders mixing genetics with geckos. Um, does that happen at all in the corn snake world or the ball python world, Jeremy? As far as hybridization? No, like as far as, uh, for instance, you know, we have, with the leopard geckos, we have three different strains of albino. Um, some breeders are, are lax in their, in their breeding ethics, and they'll indiscriminately breed albino strains together. And, you know, there's been discoveries where some animals have had uh, multiple hidden recessive genes that are not desirable. Mm. You know, we try to keep the albino strains separate. That's like a big, big uh, standard for, for breeders in the leopard gecko world. We don't see right. albino strains ever. Yeah. Um, now I can I can remember I can, seeing that years ago when I first started breeding leopard geckos. People were like, "Never cross albino strains." That's always been a big no-no. Yeah. So I'm I'm just wondering, like with uh, ball pythons, you know, you got caramels, you got lavenders, you got regular albinos. Does this type of thing happen? Because I know with corn snakes, 
sometimes people hit on, you know, recessive traits, and they're, sometimes they're happy. Oh, I hit on this weird thing. It's, uh, you know, I don't know what it is, but it's cool. You know, but if that were to happen yeah. with serious leopard gecko breeders, we'd be pissed. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's like, it's the whole concept of experimentation. You know, I mean, with corn snakes, um, you know, pretty much everything in the corn snake realm is, is a simple recessive, you know. So you a- if you ask somebody, is that corn snake kept for anything, the general answer is, well, it's a corn snake, meaning it's, it's probably het for a million different things you, you, that you won't know un- until you breed it, you know. Um, and that, that can be frustrating, you know. So I always ask, you know, before I, I buy a corn snake, if I'm going to, is like, is it het for something? You know, because I want to know up front so I don't get any surprises in a clutch. I mean, granted, there might be something that's unknown to the breeder, uh, depending on where their lineages came from. And if you pop out with something interesting, well, then that's great. But I, I like to kind of have a, a, a set idea when it comes to my corn snakes, what's supposed to pop out. As far as ball pythons goes, it, it's something that you don't really see too often as far as, like, mixing strains of albinos, um, at least not that I've seen. Um, you know, I, I'm sure at some point people have tried to breed various albino strains together to see if they were compatible or not or to see just randomly what would happen. Um, you know, lineages of albinos, you know, I know for, like, lavender albinos there's the uh, elixir line, um, lavender albino, which is a stunning, stunning line of lavender albino. And it's, it's one of those where you just don't want to tamper with it because it looks great, you know. Um mm-hmm. So that's one of those, that, you know, that's one of those things. The biggest thing it, it, it isn't so much um, mixing different types of things like albino, you know, albino caramel, albino lavender, albino. It's not really so much mixing all of those so much as mixing the different lineages. It, essentially, just like in leopard geckos, you know, you never want to buy an, an azanthic ball python that's been combined with VPI and and uh, SK or whatever. You know, you always want everybody wants like the single lineage that came from this this specific breeder so that they know exactly what the outcome is going to be because as far as azanthic ball pythons go. Everybody gets mad because everybody's line browns out too much, you know, and, and it's nasty when it gets older. You know, so it's really just a big thing of uh, just understanding the genetics. I, I'm pretty sure that, that goes, um, that's fair across the board for whatever species you keep. You know, if it's something where you know the lineage of, of the genetic trait, try and keep it as, as pure as possible. Yeah, good rule of thumb. Um, one of the things what that... What, what about uh what about like a butter to a lesser? Because uh, I, I feel like you should keep those separate, you know? Because yeah, it, it, it would be tough to tell the hatchlings apart which is a butter, which is a lesser. Or or say a, a blonde pastel to a pastel, you know? It'd be yeah. tough to, same type of thing, right? Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely the same type of thing. You know, I mean, yeah. I've I've heard some I've heard some theories that uh, I, and I don't want to create ball python wars here, but I've heard <laughs> people say that lesser and butter is essentially the same thing. And pe- yeah. I've heard stories from people who are like, oh well, if you heard this backdoor conversation, you'd know that somebody was just upset at somebody else, so they created or they named the same thing something else because it looked a little bit different, or one was lighter than the other, or one was darker than the other. I 
I honestly think if you buy, like, as far as lessers and butters go, if you buy a lesser, it's a lesser. If you buy a butter, it's a butter. You know, yep. it's not yep. it's not like there's a $250 price difference like there used to be seven or eight years ago. Right. That's that's a good point. Yeah, and that leads me into something else I want to talk to Jeremy about. You know, we, you know us in the gecko world, and a lot of us uh, that follow this show are definitely hardcore gecko people. Um, I'd like to give everybody a perspective into, you know, the different uh, genres like the ball python world and the corn snake world tonight, and Jeremy's knowledgeable in these areas. Now, with the ball pythons, you know, recently we've seen a drastic uh, reduce in pricing. Some people are calling it the crash of the ball python market. Uh, can you give us some insight into what's really going on, Jeremy, with that? Well, what it is is just that a lot of people are freaking out because they feel like the demand for ball pythons is going down, and uh, that's that's honestly not the case. Um, you know, I mean, there there are definitely you have noticed a lot of people downsizing in ball pythons to, and jumping ship to something else, and you know the the demand really hasn't changed much for ball pythons. It's still pretty strong. The problem is the supply keeps increasing every single year. And it's a supply of the same exact stuff. You know, this is this is one of the reasons why I I love going out to see Kevin at Nerd because the thing that he's always like drilled into my brain every time I go up there is make sure you're not breeding the same stuff everybody else is when it comes to producing mutations because what happens is we start seeing you know you go to an expo and every single breeder with ball pythons has a bumblebee. You know, and they're all, you know, let's say there's 18 vendors who have bumblebees and there's 18 different prices. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like, well, you know, how how is somebody supposed to compete with that? You know, so there's not a lot of people. I mean, there are a lot of people, but from what I've seen recently it shows, a lot of people go in, they see what they want to buy, and they just buy it. They don't shop around. You know, they're just like, oh, that's what I came here to get, so I'm going to get it. You know, and then they find it from somebody else, and it might look nicer, and it might be $10 cheaper, and then they're like, oh, crap, you know, I, I completely missed out on this. You know, um, and it, it's kind of it's kind of annoying. You know, I don't think it's the, the crash of the market per se, but it is definitely – um, becoming an interesting thing to to watch. Now, I personally, myself, I've gone from having a lot of ball pythons to having not a lot of ball pythons. Um, and why is that? Because I don't feel like being in that same predicament. I don't want to be one of those 18 people selling ball pythons at one price and having 17 other people selling them at different pricing and competing for the same market. Um, you know, so what I what I – I'm really interested in watching right now is just where where the the ball python breeders plan on, on going. You know, if you notice, the people who aren't really struggling with ball python sales that much are the people who have the massive collections of ball pythons who breed the numerous um, females every year and produce all these ridiculous, insane mutations that are coming out with new mutations. And people are asking, you know, how do they survive? you know, in the, in the market. Well, that's the answer. They're producing all these crazy mutations that nobody's ever seen before that everybody wants because it's finally something different, you know? Um, so that puts, that puts kind of the ball python industry almost back in a monopoly for the, for the bigger breeders because everybody else has, has bought out, you know, we've all bought out pastel ball pythons to the point where now you can find males for 40 bucks. 
you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so every, you know, every 10-year-old who wants a ball python is, is buying a $40 pastel because it's finally something that doesn't look like the $80 normal that they have at Petco. You know, so now they can be the cool kid on the block with the yellow and black snake. Um, you know, so there's, you know, there's a reason why this is happening, you know. Um, and uh, a lot of people have been freaking out about the, uh, the banana and coral glow price drop. I mean, because that, that's probably the biggest price drop we've seen in, in a very, very long time, you know, from $25,000 and up to, you know, a grand and under in some cases. Um, you know, and a lot of people are, are, are jumping ship or, or they're getting into it now with very high intentions. And uh, if you notice, uh, when male coral glows were still uh, crazy, crazy expensive, notice that females, though they were expensive, were quite a few thousand dollars less than males. Then they started to become a bit more popular as more people were investing because they assumed that the market value was going to stay that high. And then we started to get this um, sex change in the, in the babies. So now instead of producing more females, we're producing more males. And then everybody jumped on the bandwagon because everybody needed male coral glows and male bananas. So everybody jumped on this. Uh, this bandwagon to produce males and males and males and males and males. That's why your price dropped from, you know, $25,000 plus to a grand and under because everybody hopped on the male coral glow wagon. But if you look at it, when's the last time that you ever saw a female coral glow being offered for sale? Now you've got to think a little bit. Or a female, I mean, if I said male, sorry. Um, so now you've got to think. The last time I saw a female coral glow offered for sale was still about forty five hundred to five thousand dollars. Now that's mm-hmm. by no means the eighteen thousand dollars that they were, um, you know, a, a year or so ago. But compared to the thousand dollars the males are, that's still a decent investment for somebody to make. Five thousand dollars isn't easy for somebody to pull out of their wallet, you know. Um, so it's interesting because the tides have turned. People think that you know, the market's a a dead end, and that's honestly not the case. You know, um, everything has its its time to shine in the uh, the industry when it comes to ball pythons. You know, everything's gone through their phase. You know, we can't forget that piebald ball pythons used to be $20,000 plus when they were first created. You know, now you can get males for 400 bucks, but they still sell. People who have piebalds still sell piebalds. It's not like they've got, you know, a million piebalds waiting to be sold. So, you know, I mean, it's very – it can be a very touchy subject uh, when you talk to certain people about it because a lot of people do think that the ball python market is is ending, and it's honestly not the case. You just have to know how to play your cards right and follow where the industry goes. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Steve, do you have anything you'd like to add on that? Um, I've, I've noticed a lot of people just selling off locally, selling off their entire collections. <laughs> I mean, they've, I, and I'm, I'm holding on to mine. I, I feel panicking. like, it, yeah, but I, I feel like it, it'll turn around. You know, it's not going to be that way forever, you know? Right. You know, the biggest thing for ball python people to, to think about too, is they need to think about the corn snake market. You know, the corn snake market went through a very similar uh, issue 
oh gosh, I don't know how many years ago, where everybody was breeding corn snakes, and then it got way too flooded, and everybody pretty much got out of corn snake completely, except for a, a very few, uh, um, a very few group of people who were holding strong. They're like, you know what, this will, you know, it'll bounce back. Everybody's going to want a corn snake at some point or another. And now the corn snake market boomed. Obviously, there were some new mutations that kind of aided with that, you know. But during that time where everybody was getting out of them, that allowed those people who were hardcore breeding and understood breeding to see when the new mutations came out, oh, hey, look, here's a chance to get on something brand new and I can get back into something I enjoyed. Because obviously breeding snakes, you know, for most of us isn't about the money. For some of us it can be. Um, but, you know, sometimes making in that, that extra bit of the money helps aid in, in the joy. You know, I, I know when I don't have to pay out of my own pocket to keep my collection fed and happy, I'm definitely a bit happier than when I have to sign one of my own personal checks to pay for a feeder bill. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I'm not trying to make a million dollars, but I am trying to keep things going without having to spend any of my personal money. So, uh, you know, when, when people don't get that uh, anymore, they have to spend their own personal money, then it, then it becomes a little less enthusiastic. You know, it's like you get a car that you spend a lot of money on and you think it's a great vehicle and then it starts breaking down and you're like, oh my gosh, why do I have to keep putting money into this thing? It's not, you know, it, it's, it's eating me, it, it, you know, it's eating me dry here, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And you get frustrated with it and you get to the point where you just want to sell the damn car and then buy a new one, you know. Uh, it's the same kind of concept. So, you know, I, I feel like if, if, if ball python people realize what's going on, they hold fast, yeah, you want to get out or uh, downsize a little bit, good, downsize a little bit. Focus more, focus on what is going to keep you uh, the most in tune with what's going to happen in the ball python industry, and then just watch. You know, don't, don't necessarily get out of it completely, but if you have 50 ball pythons that you're trying to breed, maybe cut back to like 15 or something you know, so that you don't have to worry about it quite as much and you, you're not as in as much competition. Um, you still need to sell stuff, but you're not freaking out about selling 500 babies. You only have to worry about selling 80 babies, you know, which might sound like a lot, but compared to 500, it's not that much. I think this is going to give, um, this, this is like a restructuring type of thing, and I think it's going to give the opportunity for, uh, you know, it's definitely a buyer's market right now for ball pythons. And if, if you want to get involved, I think what you should do is one of the things that I find interesting is I think people are going to uh, be able to now line breed certain certain morphs of ball pythons for perfection and be able to, uh, instead of just making the combos and pumping out combos, now you can focus on making the best-looking bumblebees and the best-looking black pastels, you know? I agree with you 100%. People need to realize that line breeding is what helped produce some of these newer mutations that are out now. We can't forget the fader gene, the infamous fader gene that, that Kevin McCurley has, has trademarked over at Nerd, derived from him line breeding lemon pastels. It was, it was this trait that existed in there that he just had to breed out after generations, and it proved out to be a different genetic trait. Uh, leopard was derived from piebald, you know, um, if I if I remember that genetics history properly, uh, you know, so th- there are things that we may be able to unlock by messing with what we've got, 
you know, we can't forget, even though ball pythons have been kept and, and been bred now that I know since the 40s, um, you know, <laughs> we can't forget that, you know, the, the mutation market part has only been around for the last, you know, 20 years or so. So, yeah, there might be 3,000 ball python mutations out there, but they've only been around for a couple of decades. You know, we still don't know everything about all of those base mutations. You know, all those $40, $50 mutations that you see floating around there, who knows if you breed that to the right thing or if you start genetically line breeding them, who knows what might pop out. We don't. We think we know everything about the mutation scheme, but we still haven't even scratched the surface, and people fail to realize that. You know, Jeremy, I find it hard to believe that now with the ball pythons, you guys have a million different morphs and the different genetics. I find it hard to believe that these things, these morphs are all coming out of the wild. Where are these, all these traits coming from? Well, there are some of them that derive from the wild. At some point, they all have derived from the wild. But there are breeders and there are farms and there are people who have connections uh, out in West Africa and somebody, you know, some connection over West Africa will call a major breeder or somebody with a farm connection here in the U.S. and say, hey, look, we've got this wacky ball python that we think is going to be something genetic, or maybe they proved it out to be genetic over there and they need to make some serious money, so they call the big guys over here and say, hey, look, you want this. You know, here's a picture. You know, here's what it looks like. Buy it. You know, I want $100,000 or whatever, you know. Um, perfect example, Brian Barczyk with the pinstripe ball python. You know, he's told that story a bunch of times. He had never – picture phones didn't exist back then, you know, so he, he couldn't get any pictures of it, but he spent tens of thousands of dollars on this animal out of the wild. Um, and it, it turned out to be an amazing thing for him, and it, it allowed him to, to become as successful as he is now as well as other projects that he had invested in. Interesting. Steve, what have you got to add on that? Um, I don't know. I, I think that a lot of the genetics are just hidden. You know, they're there. You just got to gotta unlock them, you know. You don't, uh, you don't think that there's a way to make them in a lab somehow, like with uh, messing with the <laughs> eggs while they're at a certain stage now, of now development? Dave, now is not the time for conspiracy theories, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but what do you think? You know, it's been proven that, you know, certain things are, you know, certain genes can be turned on and off at different stages of incubation somehow. You know, sometimes it's a temperature thing, perhaps. I, I don't know. Is it possible? I, I think what's interesting about ball pythons is the fact that no no two of the same mutation will ever look identical. You know, um, I think a lot, a lot of times when we see people bringing out new mutations, um, you know, I'm not saying that everybody comes out with a new ball python mutation is, is, uh, is a crock, but, uh, you know, it, it's hard sometimes when, you know, if you're somebody who's trying to sell a pastel ball python, uh, but you've produced 15 pastel ball pythons, it, it's, hard to, it's, it's hard to look at all those and not see something different and say, oh, you know, maybe I want to hold that back because maybe there might be something odd happening with that one. And it's like, well, you can think that way, but you also have to realize that it could just be random. It's not necessarily a, a, a temperature-related thing or, or something, although it very well could be. You know, the, um, being, being so diverse and having such uh, – 
a varied phenotype, you know, it makes is what makes it more interesting. You know, I've hatched out uh, I don't know how many normal ball pythons, unfortunately, that uh, <laughs> that look completely different than one another. You know, from same parents, or you know, they might have the same mother. Um, but a different father, and, and it's interesting to see. I always say, like, eat, when it comes to ball pythons, the genetics are like a light switch, and the light switch is comprised of thousands and thousands and thousands of little light switches, and sometimes, you know, it, this is how it works for me, in, in my brain when it comes to, like, co-dominant and dominant mutations. If the mutation is completely visible, obviously the whole light switch is on. It's either the mutation or it's not. But sometimes when you look at certain animals, like I've got a normal ball python here that I I sold to a friend, and um, the parents were a pewter ball python to, uh, to a normal ball python, so nothing special. But when I look at that ball python and I look at the parents of the pewter ball python, I can pick up on little uh, patterns and, and color schemes, uh, color scheme ideas, not, not the exact same colors, but I can pick up on these little ideas on this, this animal two generations in that remind me of these mutations that were of a previous breeding. Does that mean this is some amazing, new, fantastic ball python mutation? Absolutely not. It's still a normal ball python. But it's interesting to see how these two massive light switches were turned on to create this pewter ball python. And now I've got three major light switches that are, that are working between pewter to normal. There's the normal, the cinnamon, and the pastel. So the, the, pewter, and pa- or the, the, the pewter ball python switches, the cinnamon and the pastel, have been completely turned off. However, there's like these little tiny switches in, all, in the thousands of components that make this mutation either happen or not that are, uh, that are sparking almost. And, and that's what's making this second generation normal look so different to a, to a normal that I would get if I just bred uh, a pastel to, to a normal or a cinnamon to a normal. Something about the way these switches have reacted has given me this new animal. So it's, it's kind of difficult to even get into line breeding unless you absolutely know where all of your genetics are coming from because you might get this animal that is supposed to be this one specific mutation, but somewhere along the line this spark went off, and now it's got this slightly different paint job to it. You know, it's almost like if you if you look at every single normal ball python out there as, as one of Picasso's paintings, and then you see this uh, this one that looks very very different, almost like Picasso just like sneezed like seven times in the middle of painting it. Does that make it not a normal? No. If there's no other visible genetic mutation, it's still it's still a normal. Dep- obviously, depending on what the breedings were for all these ball pythons, but. Now you're seeing this slightly varied phenotype, and you're like, oh, wow, that's, that's interesting. I'm not saying it's something different, but now it's got this interesting look, and I want to see how that's going to affect its future generations. That is cool. That, and, you know, I think it, it reflects a lot on what we do with leopard geckos, too, in a sense, you know. Um, yeah, man. Steve, why don't you tell Jeremy about this, this thinker I found? And oh, geez. Yeah, you, you, you have some interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you Actually, have some I interesting think 
putting opinions on that, but go ahead. I think Jeremy saw it when I picked it up the day at, at White Plains, but it, it to me it resembles a leopard. Um, hmm. It's really dark, almost black pa- pattern that's all broke up. And you were talking about um, how a leopard came from the pied. That's the first pairing I'm going to hook up with that snake is going to be to a pied to see hmm. what happens. Um, that well, the thing about this snake is it doesn't look like a normal, and it doesn't look like just a regular dinker. There's, there's something going on. Don't you think, Steve? Yeah, I mean, if it's a normal, it's a exceptional normal. <laughs> I right. mean, it's a just beautiful snake. All right, it looks he, like we have a caller he, he, on the line just, here. You just you said that you said the phrase right there. It's it it's even if it's just a normal, it's still a beautiful snake. People people <laughs> yeah. fail to realize that that beauty. It doesn't have to be the next big thing to be an awesome animal. Oh yeah. All yeah. right, we have a caller on the line. I think they're calling in from a Skype number though, so I can't tell what area cut it is. So let's let's see. Uh, it's coming in as one one one. Uh, let's go ahead and take this call. Caller, you're live on Caffeination Radio. Uh, hello. Um, hello. I just want to ask you, uh, do you think, that, do, you, do you think there's uh, such thing as a, a scaleless leopard gecko? What? I, I, you're breaking up. What was that? Uh, do you think there's such thing as a scaleless leopard gecko? A scaleless um, leopard gecko? Yeah. That's oh, what I... yeah. Okay. Scaleless. Okay. Um, you're breaking up. We'll, we'll take your question off the air. Just keep listening. But all right. Yes, a scaleless leopard gecko. A true scaleless hasn't been found as of yet, but um, there are a couple of people working on reduced scales. Uh, I know Matt from Sassabek has an interesting project going. I have a gecko here that um, has a lot of reduced scales, very smooth skin, uh, which could prove out to be genetic. I don't know. But um, there are people working on that, but, uh, but as far as the scaleless ball python, why don't we talk about that, Jeremy? What do you know about that? That's awesome, by the way. The scaleless ball python? It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's an interesting animal. I, uh, I'll be interested to see it in person. I have plans when I, when I come back from my summer semester at Berkeley to, uh, to go visit Mr. Barchek and see, uh, see some of these interesting ball pythons in person. So, I don't want to say too much about it because I haven't I haven't really seen it yet other than pictures. It has no heat pits, right? No heat registers on its face. Right? They're there. They are there. According to Brian, they are there. They're just not as visible because of the lack of scales. I, I don't remember exactly what he had said, but if I remember correctly, he said that they did have uh, the labial pits. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. All right, Steve. You want to you want to ask Jeremy something? Um, let's see. Well, I want to get this question out of the way. It pertains to YouTube. What happened okay. to the wife beater? Oh come on! <laughs> I had to ask it. <laughs> oh man. Well, uh, what, do you, what do you mean? Like, where did it go, or why did it happen? Either or. <laughs> Both. 
Okay, <laughs> well, we'll do both then. Well, you know, uh, the, the white beater thing happened because uh, I had to do some filming. I was being pestered by the guys who helped me out. They were like, man, you got to post a new video, whatever. So I was having a very lazy day. I was pretty much in front of my computer replying to emails, making phone calls. And um, I was like, okay, you know, whatever, let's film. So I just pretty much walked into my reptile room and was like, all right, press, press film, otherwise it's not happening. So that was pretty much me just being lazy. I mean, if you walk right now, I'm sitting in front of my laptop in a white beater, you know. So I mean, it's it's uh, it is what it is, man. Sometimes you just gotta gotta be relaxed, you know. Um, and then it, it went away because uh, when I would come in and film various segments for things, uh, I would I would be on the run and I would have to leave after I filmed the segment. So I would have to be somewhat dressed up. Uh, to do it. I remember when I first started doing the monthly herp, uh, my, my friend Bill Benton has been helping me do some editing on it and everything. Uh, he was like, you know, I was going to make this really, really flashy. And then I thought, ah, what the hell? He, he, he wears white beaters on YouTube. We don't have to make it that flashy. And I was like, <laughs> come on, man. You know, that was just, uh, that was a whole, a whole thing. Yeah. That was, that was some fun stuff. <laughs> Nah, I think cool. that added to some of your it added to some of your fame there, you know, got you recognized a lot more. <laughs> oh yeah, that that and the mustache, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the mustache. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, <laughs> you know. I've to this day I've never. Uh, I think one video I put myself on the actual video. It was for US Arc a long time ago, but I I deleted the video. I got to do a new one, but um, I've never been on my any of my own videos. Isn't that weird? I just don't feel comfortable on camera. Yeah, and it's interesting because the, vi- the videos, the couple of videos that I filmed where I'm behind the camera, I feel so odd. I feel like I have to, like, put my face in there somehow and just be like, hey, it really is me. I didn't just tape record this, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, interesting perspective. I, I'm the same way. I used to be really good at running my cameras. And now that I have my oldest son does it all the time, and I'm totally lost running the camera i can't do it anymore <laughs> yeah hey jeremy one of the things uh you, you know you've been running your jay reptiles for quite a while and recently uh you made a decision to uh to stop doing it as a quote-unquote business uh you want to tell us a little bit about what brought you to that decision yeah, definitely. I was I was hoping that we'd be able to touch on this. Basically, what it is, you know, I, I've run J&D Reptiles since uh, since I was a freshman in high school, um, you know, and I, I ran it all through high school and through my first uh, parts of college and all, all that other fun stuff. And uh, you know, it, it, we had over the last year and a half or so, uh, we had some interesting things happen. I don't, I don't want to go into detail because it's a whole. Uh, bag of garbage I don't want to unopen. Uh, anyway, it really brought into perspective to me how much of my time was being focused on non-reptile things. And I mean, I visited some of the biggest breeders in, in, in the world, and I've seen what their lives are like when it comes to uh, running the business versus spending time in their reptile rooms with their animals. And, uh, you know, it really never used to bother me until I really started paying attention uh, to what I was doing and seeing the issues that I was seeing in, in my own personal collection. Um, and I was like, you know, enough is enough. You know, 
Um, I, I'm, I don't want to be looking at my animals as dollar signs. You know, as I said earlier, I, I do enjoy making money from my animals so that everything is self-sustaining. And if I happen to make, you know, a profit from that as well, fantastic. If not, it's not that big a deal for me. But running things as, as a business on the books and everything, uh, I have to be focused on making a profit because I have to file taxes. I have to do all this. I have to do all that. You know, uh, as well as make all these amazingly ridiculous phone calls and keep up with all these accounts. And uh, it, it just started to take a toll on me. Um, and, I, you know, I was starting to get kind of frustrated. And uh, I'm start, I was starting to look at what my calendar is going to look like for 2014 with, uh, with uh, going – I'm going to, to Canada for two weeks to play and uh, then going to Europe in the fall, going back to Berkeley in the summer – I'm not going to have a lot of time to, to be here to focus on, on the business aspect. You know, I have people who have dedicated their time to, to helping me maintain my collection when I'm not around, and there are people that I trust with my life. So I have, uh, I have no qualms about my animals being taken care of properly. I, they know how I like stuff done, and they're able to get it done that's in a way that's satisfactory to me. So I, I have no concerns about my animals being taken care of properly, but my concern is, my own personal enjoyment of keeping reptiles and dealing with reptiles, you know, I, I had gotten to a point where I was so far away from the root of what got me into the industry, and I wanted to get away to uh, to get back to that. You know, there are so many species of animals that I've wanted to work with for years and years and years, but I never did because it wasn't a, a, a sound financial step, you know, as a business owner. Um, you know, now I don't have to worry about that. You know, I can say, you know, hey, I want to work with this, you know, $20 colubrid species because I think it looks amazing and I might want to breed it at some point down the road. And if I do, I don't have to freak out because I'm going to have, you know, 15 mouths to feed and I'm not going to see any profit from it. You know, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, so that's really what made me make the decision was it, I just needed a way to get back to my love for the industry, my, my true love for the industry, and that's just keeping the animals that I enjoy that have captivated me since I was a little kid and not have to worry about the dollar signs and all the other expenses that go into running things as a business. You know, um, don't get me wrong, I'm still going to be breeding animals. I'm still going to be plastering my face on YouTube and Facebook and, and stuff, you know, but I won't be uh, quite as uh, – freaked out when it comes to, you know, making the money, making sure stuff is, is done right on, on the books, you know, to file taxes and all of this blah, 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 insanity. Um, you know, and some people, um, some people have laughed at the decision. Some people think it's a stupid decision. Uh, other people have, uh, have thought it to be a very heartfelt decision. And honestly, I, I don't care what people think when it comes down to it, you know, I've had my, my fair run as a business. I've made my money. I've made my quote-unquote fame, I guess you could say, uh, and I, I've loved every minute about it. Um, but, you know, for me, I just needed, like I said, I just needed to be able to take that step back and, and get back to why I enjoy reptiles, why I enjoy the industry, you know, and this, this was the easiest way to do it. That's admirable. I think it's admirable. You know? Oh yeah. What about? I like that's where Steve's at. That's uh, you know I'm a little bigger than I'd like to be. I always talk about you know decreasing and 
but I have a bit of a gecko uh, addiction, I, could, I guess you want to call it, <laughs> which has gotten me into some trouble. Um, I'm basically creating my own Noah's Ark of gecko morphs, and, you know, that's that's great. But at some point, I have to make some decisions, too. It's like, you know, do I... Do I want to keep going at this rate? If I do, then I have to, I have to get a real facility. I, I mean, I can't, you know, it's not something you can really do out of your house forever. Um, right. And yeah, I, I think it's an admirable uh, decision to make, and um, I, I'm trying to keep things in perspective as well. But uh, it's important to at least break even when you're breeding, you know, especially when you're doing it on a mid scale, larger scale. Uh, you have mm-hmm. to at least break even, or else, um, right. You know, it becomes and it becomes stressful. Now there is there's a lot of competition out there. There's a lot of people. Uh, leopard geckos are very easy to breed. This is, which is a great thing, but it's also um, basically you know created a lot of smaller breeders that have dreams of making a quote unquote business out of their operation. Uh, while I see this as a great thing, it, in some instances it, it creates more competition and. Um, you know, it's it's inevitable. The, the growth is inevitable, but I think um, the interest has to be there, or else we're gonna, like you're saying, there's too many ball pythons, you know, and there's just not a, enough interest to to take them all. And a lot of guys have the same stuff, and you know that's why. And then when everybody's got the same stuff, and there's not enough people buying, then there you go, you have issues. Now I be, I believe that the economic system that you know we're all locked in. Uh, it encourages competition. It encourages uh, just you know you got to pay your taxes, like you say. You got to pay your bills. This, people are going to do what they have to do to make their money and to feed their family. And uh, you know you, you you start tarnishing people's businesses and their names, you're going to be in for some issues at some point. And it seems that you know a lot of people don't get that, and they they find it very easy to. Uh, you know, tarnish characters or, or, I don't know, just create strife. It's it's upsetting um, because you have to understand a lot of people out there do this for a living and rely on this money to help offset their own bills and their and their things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I don't know. I, that's why I'm thinking about your decision. You know, is, is a good one in a sense because, in a sense, you're not out there as competition for anybody anymore, and you're you're going back to the root of why all of us originally got into this, and it's because of the love of the animals, you know? Right, exactly, exactly. You know, and I mean, I mean I'm mean, i still going to be around at expos, you know, when I have stuff to, to sell, I'll be, you know, I'll be around vending, doing all that kind of stuff, you know, because um, so, so I had some people messaging me trying to buy up, a, you know, a bunch of animals that they thought that I was selling, and I'm like, look, you, you misunderstand what I'm trying to say. You know, I'm not... I'm not selling everything that I'm owning because I'm getting out of things as a business. I'm just kind of taking a step back. You know, when I have a day off, this is, this is how my, my days would be uh, when I was really in the, in the middle of, of running everything, when, when J&D was like in the prime mode of, of hatching and selling. You know, my quote-unquote day off would entail me being in front of my laptop for about five or six hours, replying to emails, making phone calls, and all this other, all this other stuff. And, you know, I, I try to spend as much time in my reptile room as possible, but I began, I began spending time in my reptile room to check prices for people rather than, uh, rather than handle an animal. You know what I mean? And to me, that's, that's, where, the, that's where the fun 
uh, that's where the fun gets taken out of it. You know, um, I'm not necessarily, I wasn't necessarily seeing the animals as dollar signs, but you know, when I, when I'm walking up to a cage and I see a label, I'm like, man, I wish I could look at this, this animal, but I don't have time because I've got to reply to this person's email so I can tell them how much it's going to be, you know? And it's like, ah, you know, um, or, you know, when I actually do get to look at an animal, it's for two seconds so I can take a picture to update the website. You know, and it's just like all that stuff. I, you know, I'm still going to have to take pictures, and I'm still going to do this. You know, I'm still going to do that, blah, 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 blah. But now there's less pressure. You know, I hate working under pressure. Because for me, working under pressure means you, you procrastinated too much, you know, um, or you spread yourself too thin. Because then it feels like it's more of a job than, than you're doing something for, for a love. Um, you know, so do, taking this route is going to be able to allow me to do all of this stuff uh, without all of that uh, insane pressure. You know, I won't be advertising as a business, so I won't have quite as many emails coming in. I won't have quite as many advertising duties to take care of, you know, um, so it alleviates some of the stress that I already deal with because of the million other things that I do throughout the course of the week. <laughs> right? Exactly. Now, that makes a lot of sense. Well, we're coming to the end of the show, Jeremy, and uh, number one, I'd like to say, you know, you're more than welcome to come on anytime you want. And uh, I'd like to do an episode in the future and uh, talk about corn snakes, and maybe we can do like a roundtable discussion uh, with you and maybe a couple other people, we could talk uh, corn snakes for an evening. How does that sound? Yeah, that would be awesome. All right, cool. Let's let's put that together for the new year. But um, before I let you go, uh, I'd like to give you a minute to definitely um, give out your information, number one, and have any closing remarks uh, that you'd like to leave uh, at the end of the show here. Awesome. All right, well, uh, Dave, I, I want to thank you, uh, first of all, for, for having me on. You know, um, Basically, if you want to find me anywhere, you can still pretty much find me under JD Reptiles. Um, if you go on YouTube, you can still, you know, youtube.com slash Reptiles, you can find me there. Uh, my username is now Jeremy T rather than JD Reptiles. Um, you can still search me up on Instagram with hashtags for JD Reptiles. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm still pretty much under that name for the time being. Um, and uh, just stay tuned for some really exciting things. Um, I know there's some people who have been curious to know what's going on with the monthly herp. Uh, the newsletter that I that I've been putting out uh, that's been it's been delayed for the last couple of issues because so much has been going on. Um, and there's a possibility that uh, the January issue is going to be delayed too because holiday insanity. Plus, I've been trying to get as much info as possible on all this Lacey Act stuff, and every single day there's new information coming out. And uh, I'd rather send out one massive newsletter to people that has all of the information possible than a million little emails of very annoying tidbits of information. Um, so stay tuned to, to that. Um, you know, and uh, if anybody has any other questions or wants to get in touch with me, Facebook is definitely the easiest way. Uh, and you can find me on Facebook by uh, just going to facebook.com slash, uh, slash JJ Turgeon and uh, shoot me a message, uh, post something on my wall. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. That's awesome. Hey, Steve, you have anything you'd like to say to Jeremy before we let him go? Uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you for uh... – you know, portraying us 
in a great way your your whole career. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you've always. Uh, I mean, I remember. I don't know. It might have been years ago that you posted a video saying, you know, how how to how to be, you know, good to each other. Basically, I can't remember mm-hmm. the, the the title of the video, but it was all about what we were talking about earlier on. Uh, you know, conflicts and and all that. It was, and that was, I think you were like, I don't know, 17, 18 years old and you posted that video. <laughs> but you've always portrayed a good image for our hobby. And I just want to say thank you for that. I appreciate that very much. All right. Jeremy, I'd love to have you back in the new, in the new year. And uh, I want to wish you the best of luck with all of your, your projects uh, this upcoming season. Thank you very much. I look forward to coming back for sure. All right. I'll be in touch with you soon, bud. Thanks again. And have a good night. All right. No problem. All right. You guys too. All right. Later. All right. Steve, what do you think? Did a good job tonight as co-host. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, Would you like doing it again sometime? Oh, yeah. I just, I I followed Jeremy, you know, for years. So (laughs) that helps, you know. (laughs) I know he's an easy he's an easy guest um, to talk to. I feel like I know him really well, and you know you and you and he both. Uh, I think all three of us have met with, have met each other from YouTube, right? Yeah. Yep. Amazing. It brought a lot of us together, and it, and it made a lot of us feel like family, even though you know we're scattered all over the world. Uh, it, it's it's just an amazing, incredible thing. I think it far surpasses Facebook in in as far as positivity and um you know it's just it's perfect it's the perfect thing we can show off our animals and you know meet everybody else and i don't know it's a good thing oh, yeah. so you'll be seeing a lot i, I was ahead. feeling i was feeling the same way you you said at the beginning of the episode you know how, how you're going to go back to you know focus on youtube more i've been feeling mm-hmm. that way you know facebook does take a lot of your time and you know, and YouTube really got me going. You know, I had my reptiles, but you know, it gives you a little, little more, you know, about them that you can, you know, show someone. You know, and right. uh, I've, I've got to, I've got to get back into making videos. Yeah, well, we're gonna do that, and um, you know, it's, 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 it's priority number one for me. That's for sure. Um, I just made the last video that I'm going to make for 2013, everybody. It's uh, the absolute last babies that I've hatched out here that will hatch out here. Uh, really nice rainwater stuff. Check them out. And uh, Steve, give out your information for everybody so they can find you. Uh, you could check me out on Facebook and YouTube, hopefully more on YouTube, at BC Barker Creations. All right. Steve, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to play the outro, and then I'll come back with my... Uh, closing remarks. All right. All right. I'll see, I'll see you next week, Steve. Have a good night. All right. Later. All right, everybody. Check this out. I'll be right back. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. 
You can check out Jeremy at J&D Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays were assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations. He has some terrific videos for the herb community with amazing geckos and snakes. Please support the U.S. Herpetocultural... Please support the U.S. Herp Alliance and U.S. ARC, everybody. And, so, and definitely donate to the U.S. ARC Legal Defense Fund. Uh, listen, you know, we all have disagreements out there. They don't have to be the end of the world, and they don't have to be public. Let's all do our best in 2014, everybody, to come together as a, as a whole, and we'll win what we need to win. All right, I'm going to play a song for the end, and it's going to be a bit inspirational. I hope this gets everybody pumped for 2014. Thanks for another great show, everyone, and I'll see you next Sunday.
Night Decanation. <laughs>